I am introducing the guest speaker this morning. I'm not preaching. His name is Dale Epp, not Dak Epp, as it's in the bulletin, so you can make that adjustment to your notes. Dale is visiting from New Zealand with his family, um, Patty, Isabel, and Justice. They'll be um, visiting for a few months, going back home to Canada. But Dale um, and Patty have been in New Zealand for 14, 15, 14 years, and um, they were the director when my family and I served in New Zealand a few years ago of the Bible school there, Torchbury School, the Crossing. Now he serves as a Torchbury representative down there still, traveling around, teaching at different schools, and he continues uh, to do construction on the side as well. And um, Dale and Patty were on staff at His Hill as well, and students there for, they were there for over seven years, I think it was, so we're excited to have them back visiting with us. Thanks, Dale. Good morning. <laughs> Greetings from New Zealand. Um, just, I'd like my wife and my children to raise their hand or stand up. Actually, that would be better. So, just so everyone knows who they are. I like to embarrass them. <laughs> um, yeah, we, um, we are really thankful for the support from Bernie Bible and your prayers and and um, everything you contribute to us. And um, it really means a lot to know that we have your, your backing, your prayer support, spiritual support. Um, yeah, I, we know quite a few people here, but since we're not back every year or every month, uh, we, well, there's a lot of people we don't know. But uh, every time we do come back, it's great to catch up with those of you who, who we do know. And um, so, yeah, it's, great to, it's just great to be back here again. Um, as Michael was saying, we spent seven years here at, uh, on staff with His Hill and uh, before we went to New Zealand, so um, working with torchbearers at the school over there. And um, so, yeah, it's great to be back in Texas. It really feels like home. Uh, like, like, I just can't ex- express that enough. It just feels like home. This is really, this is really the be- where my wife and I came to understand Christ as our life. And so this is our spiritual home, like our, this is our Jerusalem is, is in this area. So it has a very special place in our heart. So thank you for receiving us this morning, and um, it's great to be with you again. Um, I'd, I'd like to uh, begin by uh, asking you to turn our Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 6. Second Samuel chapter 6. Um, and then I'm just going to pray, open up in prayer. Lord God, we just thank you for your word, and we thank you for the, how profitable it is for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. We thank you that you've preserved it through time, through persecutions, through through, uh, through history to, to speak to us and, and to reveal your will, your way to us and uh, just how we can experience the life-transforming power of Jesus in our lives. And we pray that that would continue to happen this morning as we look at your word and that you would speak to our hearts and that you would uh, challenge us where we need to be challenged, that you would encourage us where we need to be encouraged, where you, that you would uh, correct us where we need to be corrected. And all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Um, I wonder, have you, if you, you don't have to answer this, but you, you can just think and um, nod in approval if you, if you can identify. Have you ever started a job or a task of some sort uh, where when something went so wrong that you had to stop, go back to the drawing board, and then start all over again? You can identify with something like that. It could be uh, baking a, uh, a dinner or uh, some kind of dessert, and, and the whole thing goes sideways, and you have to start all over again. It could be something with, I see some people laughing already. So uh, you can identify where, you know, go right back to the drawing board. And um, I'm sure you can think of your own stories. Well, I had, this, this is a story of when I lived here in Texas. Uh, we were working on staff at His Hill. It was right at the beginning. My wife and I were students and um, we drove down from Canada, and I needed to change the oil on my truck. And so we all know Herb, Herb Bolgamut, and he was the maintenance guy at the time. And so he said, well, you just go down to the shop and, and just buy your oil and, and just uh, use, use our tools down there, and you can change your own oil. So, I, yeah, that's great. So I went down and uh, got all the stuff ready, and they had a dolly, you know, that you lay on this dolly with these uh, uh, wheels on, little wheels on it, and um, you can slide under your vehicle and change the oil and slide back out again. And at this time, when we first came down, some of you may be able to remember, I used to have really long hair. I used to have hair halfway down my back, and uh, I was a, but when we came down, I was a musician, and I wanted to be, I had aspirations of being a rock star back in those days. That was, that's what I was pursuing. But I, Charlie said that I could still have my hair long uh, if I came to Bible school. And uh, so that was a big deal to me then. But anyway, we, um, I went down to change the oil in my truck. And I laid down and I got the tool in there and I, and I uh, rolled myself under my truck. And um, wrong size of wrench. So I rolled myself back out again. And, uh, and I couldn't get up. My hair was, and my hair got wound up in the little wheels. And I couldn't get it undone. I couldn't get it undone. And uh, so I'm like, oh no. So I had to carry this dolly on my back. And there's no way I'm cutting my hair. So I, so I get in the truck. The, the wheel is jammed up against, my face is against the windscreen, and I have to drive all the way back up to where we were living, up on uh, Casaroca, up on the hill there, and I just didn't want anyone from his hill to see me. I didn't, so I go back, and I'm carrying this dolly on my back, because it's tight, it's, my hair is wrapped up in it, and I get into the door, and I, wanted, I needed my wife to get it out for me, and uh, and just then, I, no sooner had I walked in the door, than Herb rolls up, and he comes to check the meter, the power reading. And, he's a, and he always likes to make conversation, because he's such a friendly guy. And he, and he says, hey guys, how you doing? And I'm just standing there with this dolly behind my back. <laughs> Hi, Herb. <laughs> he goes, what's going on, Dale? And uh, nothing. <laughs> Why are you holding on to a dolly behind your back? And then so I had to, and I begged him not to tell anybody. And I think he kept it a secret until the end of the year. But I was so embarrassed. But, you know, something, you know, you can all identify some situation where you start off and then it just goes sideways. Well, what I want to talk about this morning in 2 Samuel is one of those situations that happened to David 
where he starts to do something and the whole situation goes sideways and he has to stop and start all over again. Well, in uh, what's happening here in, in 2 Samuel 6 um, is uh, just for setting the stage here, this uh, David um, is going to bring the ark. He has this idea to bring the ark back into Jerusalem. And uh, this, is a, this is a real big deal. And he has just been made the, the new king of Israel. In fact, I'm going to read a couple of verses from the, the account in First Chronicles 12. But he has just been made the, the king of Israel. Samuel, or, sorry, Saul has died. He's the new king. He, and in fact, just now before this, he has conquered the major city of the Jebusites, which was called Jebus. And he, he makes it Israel's capital and he renames it Jerusalem. And he establishes Jerusalem as the new political center for Israel. This is a very significant achievement. And um, so this calls for a celebration. And at the end of 1 Chronicles 12, uh, it says, uh, verse 39, and, and they were there with David three days eating and drinking, for their brethren had prepared for them. Uh, moreover, those who were near to them from as far away as Issachar and Zebulun and Naphtali were bringing food on donkeys and camels, on mules and oxen, provisions of, of flour and cakes of figs and cakes of raisins, wine and oil and oxen and sheep abundantly, for there was joy in Israel. So this, this is a celebration, and David is calling everybody from the highways and byways to celebrate. This is a, this is a massive national event. And nobody should be missing this. And in the passion and excitement of this success, David realizes that something is missing. The ark. Where's the ark? And uh, we need the place to worship God. And the, in the very next chapter of the account in Chronicles, uh, the very next chapter is 13, where uh, we, we read about David um, wanting to do something about it, to bring the ark back. And this is, this is really important because there has always been, uh, God has always had one place where his people could come and worship him. And that was where the, where the, where, where the ark was in the tabernacle. Other pagan places, other pagan people had, had many places. They had high places, wherever. Uh, but Jehovah had, the Jehovah God of the Israelites, they, he only had one place where he made himself accessible to his people. And that was in the tabernacle. And, uh, and, and uh, beginning, this began when God first brought them out of Egypt and uh, when, they, when God gave them the law at Mount Sinai. And, uh, and, and, and there was one place of worship uh, for, for them. And, and now it had been in and out of use because for around 40 years, this, this place of worship had been on the sidelines. It had, uh, the Philistines had taken the ark. They had, they had uh, won a battle, and they had took the ark, and then it was, uh, went from village to village. You're probably familiar with the stories there. And um, it was stolen when Eli was the priest and, um, and uh, when Samuel was a little boy. And so, you know, the ark was, the, was an integral part of how God was wanting to be worshipped. And David wants to bring and restore the ark of God to the people and establish Jerusalem not only as the political center for Israel, but as the spiritual center for Israel as well. And so, um, and so we read in, in 1 Chronicles 2 and 3, it says here, And David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel, and with them to the priests and Levites who are in their cities and their common lands, that they may gather together to us, 
and let us bring the ark of our God back to us, for we have not inquired at it since the days of Saul. So there's been around a 40-year period where it's just, it's just in this man's house. So this is what's going on in the, in the first few verses of Second uh, Samuel 6, where we are. I'm going, to go, I'm going to refer back to the two different accounts and put them together so we understand what's going on. And, um, and the first thing I want to point out is that our lives need to be uh, of him. Uh, our lives need to be lived in a response to God and who he is and not uh, initiating something of man. And so David's zeal for God is a big production here, and rightly so. Uh, uh, and he gathers 30, I'll read the first few verses here, the first five verses of, of uh, 2 Samuel 6. And David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. So they set the ark of God on a new cart, and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments of firwood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. So... Here, you know, uh, this is a big production. 30,000 choice men. Uh, they made a brand new cart. It was overseen by every, virtually everybody, common men, and everybody, anyone who can play an instrument plays, and there's a big noise, okay? This is, it looks like a good thing. But it seems to be David's own idea. Uh, because with something this significant, it's interesting that the phrase... Uh, that there's a phrase that doesn't appear that has been appearing every time David does make a decision. And that, and that phrase is, uh, David inquired of the Lord. Before every battle he went into, as he's, as he's made king, even, even when he, just before he's made king, he says, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to Hebron uh, before they are going to battle with the Philistines? He inquired of the Lord. That's in First uh, Samuel 2. Um, before he go in, uh, in verse in Second Samuel five, before he goes into battles, and um, and so with David, it's uh, you know he, he has this habit of inquiring of the Lord before he goes and does anything. Well, here that phrase seems to be missing, and I wonder if that phrase is missing for a reason. First Chronicles thirteen, the account there in verse one. Uh, says this. It says, Then David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. Verse 4 says, Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. And so what is highlighted is the fact that he consults everybody about this decision except God. And he's, he's you know, he's caught up in the moment in the excitement of what's going on nationally for Israel and he follows his heart. And in his zeal for God, we're not doubting that, David is acting presumptuously. And, um, and this is the thing. We will usually get ourselves into trouble when we act presumptuously, when we're relying on ourselves, relying on our own wisdom, and not God's wisdom. This really, this really speaks to me. Um, I am not preaching about this because I've mastered decision-making 101 
or because I've uh, learned how to discern God's will better than everybody else. So this isn't uh, something where, um, you know, I'm saying, I've learned this, you need to learn this. Um, my wife can definitely tell you that. <laughs> I just, uh, I, I get excited over things. I have dreams. I have goals. I like making plans. I get excited about doing God's work. But not all the time is it right for me to do certain things. Maybe you can identify with that. But, um, you know, but sometimes our good ideas and our zeal for God can get us into trouble. And this is what happened to David. If there was ever somebody who could act presumptuously, it would be Jesus. But he never did. In, uh, in Luke uh, 4, verse 4, you, you remember the temptations of Jesus. Uh, he, uh, he says, uh, Jesus answered the devil, and every, every word he says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And Jesus also in other, in other places, he says, I only do those things that please the Father. Uh, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And, uh, and b- most of the time it is easier said than done, isn't it? To, to not rely on our own wisdom, our own, our own strength, our own gifts, our own abilities, and uh, even, even our own uh, zeal for God. Out of a genuine love for God, sometimes we can step into things without even really asking God if this is what he would have for us. And so um, our lives, uh, the, the one point I want to be making here is that our lives need to be lived in response to who God is, uh, not initiated by ourselves, not being self-generated, which, which is of man. Um, it's, if, if the steps of our lives originate or are initiated by ourselves, it is of man even, and even for man. Okay? Um, moving on from there, what happens is that uh, in, in verse 6, Uzziah, or, or no, Uzzah, this man, he dies. Let me read there. And, and when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. And then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the, of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. And the Lord blessed Odem, Edom, uh, Obed-Edom and all his household. Um, so... Uzzah dies. This is a troubling situation that happens as a result of David's uh, decision to, to go and bring the Ark of God back to Jerusalem. So this is troubling for us. It's, it's, it's bothering, it's, it bothers us. Isn't God being just a little too extreme in his judgment on Uzzah? I mean, he's just trying, he grew up with this Ark in his house, right? He, he's, it's been there for around 40 years. He grew up with it in his, in his living room. And he's very familiar with its specialness from a very early age. And he's just trying to protect God's special box. It means something to him. And, uh, you know, in, in verse 3, uh, it says here that they had uh, made, they put the ark of God on a new 
cart. And this is exciting. We got to get a special new fancy cart to put God's ark on. And, uh, and it was, you know, the, how they did this, the second thing it is, it is all the common people were involved in this. And uh, everybody who could play an instrument was involved. And they, and they played their hearts out to God, it says in verse 5. And, uh, and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, um, played their heart out. And this is, this is a good idea. It's a very good thing. But it was done the wrong way. Because um, the box represented a person. He wasn't to, God wasn't to be handled like any other ordinary thing. He was special. He's holy. And he's not to be handled with familiarity, but with holiness, with clean hands. And so David, shocked, confused, and even angered, it says, he takes a three-month leave of absence. I mean, everything has to stop, and he just walks back to the city of David with his tail between his legs and wondering what has just happened. Very confusing and even angry about this. And it seems that he went back to his Bible to look up what went wrong. Why did this go wrong? What, what, what has just happened? Try to make, trying to make sense of the situation. And um, that's, that's a good thing to do. Usually when we make mistakes or fall into some kind of situation, we go, okay, God, what have I just done? How do I make it right? Why did this not work properly? Um, where, where, where are things out? And um, it's, uh, it's really interesting. The account in First Chronicles 15, uh, verse, two, or, uh, verse 13, is very enlightening. Uh, he, he's, uh, God's talking to him, or through his prophet. He called for Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. And uh, he, said, um, he said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, you and your brethren, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place I have prepared for it. And here's the interesting thing. For because you did not do it the first time, or for because you did not do it the first time, the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not consult him about the proper order. God has an order to things. God wants things done his way. See, in Leviticus 25, we have all the instructions of how God's ark was to be carried and who was to carry it and what was to take place when they carried it. And in David's zeal, he's just doing everything that seems natural and fun and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and according to his own idea. And all of a sudden, he realizes, oh, okay, um, we also have to, not only that, it says in verse, chapter 15, verse 2, David said, No one may carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the ark has chosen them to carry the ark of God and, and to minister before him forever. And, and uh, it wasn't to be put on a new cart. It wasn't to be carried around by common people like Uzzah, and the other, even though they had grown up with it in their house. It was still representing the person of God. And um, so, okay, there's specific Levites that had to carry it. Down in verse 16 to 24, um, there were specific people that were supposed to play the instruments, not just anybody and everybody. And in verse 15, um, it says that, uh, and the children of the Levites bore the ark of God on their shoulders by its poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So it needed to go on, its, on poles. It didn't need a new cart. There's nothing wrong with, it, with the old way. It was just that uh, um, that's just... It needed to be carried by its poles. 
And here, here's the, the second underlying principle that this passage has for us, and that our lives are to be lived in obedience to God. The first thing was that we need to live our lives in, in, in response to God and who he is. And secondly, we need to live our lives uh, in obedience to God. We need, in other words, we need to do things his way. Um, you know, this, this really clashes with, a, with the prevailing secular worldview that we have, which is pragmatism, which basically says that the end justifies the means. If it works, let's do it. And this account reinforces the principle that God is interested in the process as well as the outcome. It would never do for David or Israel to have the attitude that says something like, as long as we get get the ark to Jerusalem, it doesn't matter how we do it. Let's just get it there. So let's just build, build a new cart. How they did it did matter to God. And how we live our lives today also matters to God. Um, Here's the thing for us. By virtue of having the risen Jesus living in us, we Christians need to be aware of how we are carrying God's presence in our lives. Are we employing our own methods, making our own new carts to carry Jesus with us? Or are our lives patterned according to Scripture? This is, this is how it applies to our lives today. See, it is entirely possible that we can decide how our Christian life should be lived. New carts are basically any means that we may employ to carry the, God's presence, and it may not be according to the pattern of Scripture. In other words, living for Jesus on our own terms. Doing something for Jesus uh, even though it's, it's uh, even though out of our love for him, it's not done his way, and it's not done. Uh, it didn't originate from him in the first place, and in, and it and it's it, it means nothing. So whether that whether that's in our how that works out in our marriages, how that works out in our finances, how that works out in our raising our kids, how it works out to doing church, how uh, just our, our Christian lives in general instead of following what God has laid out in his word for us. We can't be unconcerned with how we are to be carrying the presence of God in our lives. Amen? And the only way that the world will take notice is if we are actually living in obedience to him, not according to how we think the Christian life should be lived. We need to go back to some simple basics. Poles. Right? Polls. Jesus' last words in John 14, 15. He says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23 says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And then we get to Uzzah's death. Numbers 4.15 outlines what, what needed to happen and the respect that needed to happen when it came to God's ark, you know, 
yeah, you can summarize it in these three words: touch and die. Right? He, uh, God, the only this is this is the only time in Scripture where where I say that we are allowed to think outside the box. God is saying, guys, David, think outside the box. How are you supposed to carry my presence? And uh, so this is uh, Uzzah's mistake was forgetting who he was before God uh, and that God is still holy. See, Uzzah's hands in his sinful fallen humanity were dirtier than the dirt on which he was walking. And God, this is so interesting, because God would rather touch the dirt on the ground than be touched by human sinfulness. Isn't that amazing? And God just couldn't condone Israel setting aside his written word to follow their own ways of dealing with him, their own ways of approaching him, their own ways of worshiping him. God was honoring his word so that Israel would learn to come under its authority as well. That's important. So our life is to be obedient to God. We need to do things his way as well. After three months, David realizes that God has a specific order of things, and he goes to bring, he tries again to bring the Ark of Jerusalem, and this time he does it right. 2 Samuel 6, 12 to 15 it says, now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was, when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. And then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And so now, a true celebration done the right way. And it works, and everything happens right, and God is pleased with it. Which is the third thing that I wanted to bring out, is that our lives need to be lived in, 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 uh, t- to God alone. It has, it has to be of him, it has to be through him in obedience, and it has to be to him alone. David comes home, he blesses, He wants to bless his household in verse 20. It says um, in verse 20, then David returned to bless his household and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of, his, of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will even be more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. And therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Um, when David comes to bless his household, he's greeted with this almost venomous statement from his wife, Michal, suggesting that he had ulterior motives in his conduct, which is fair enough, really. I'm pretty sure any married woman in this congregation would have something to say if their husband started to strip down and dance in front of everybody publicly. But David is shocked and offended because his motives were being judged. And David says, hey... This wasn't for any other reason 
except that it was, it was before the Lord. I was unconsciously, I, I was not self-conscious of anybody except God's presence. And it was before the Lord. In other words, it was to God alone. See, before, in the first time David was doing this, it was, it was, it was for him or for them. In 1 Chronicles 13.2, uh, the verse says, um, And if it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord, let us, let us send out, um, that we may gather the ark to us. In verse 3, it says, And let us bring the ark of our God back to us. Even, even uh, in the second Samuel account, he says it was to me, because his question in uh, verse 9 was, David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? It's all about David. It's all about uh, his, uh, something that's going on in him, and, uh, and his focus is off. And David says to his wife, Michal, he says, well... Your judgment of me really doesn't matter because right now I know I'm right with God. Uh, God alone is my only audience in whom I live and move and have my being. It was before the Lord and to him alone. And when it comes to our lives, we need to have God as the only audience. Living, living before God as, as, as the only audience that we need to be concerned about. Not what man thinks, not about our popularity, not what may seem, um, seem um, cool to do, but what, what, what God is my audience. He's the only one who's, whose eyes I need to be uh, conscious of when he looks at my life. And, and, uh, and, and it, it could really be summed up in, this, in that verse in Romans 11, actually Romans 11:36. 11, this, these, these three points that I've that I've brought out in uh, Romans 11:36, Paul says, "For of him and through him and to him are all things. To whom be glory forever." You see, the things that in our life, in our Christian life, as we live our Christian, life, everything has to originate from him. It has to be. That's what it means to live of him. David's David's initial presentation or uh, idea to go and bring the ark of back good idea but it had to originate from god like he didn't inquire of the lord it needs to be through him as well it means it needs to be done his way it needs to be done in his power it needs to be done in his strength he has to be the means of that as well and our lives need to be to him as well for his glory where he is the only audience that we need to be concerned about not what other people think uh, but, but before God. God's the, the one in the end who's going to be the true evaluator of how we lived our lives. Of him, through him, and to him are all things. And I just want to end with Psalm 24. Psalm 24 uh, seems to be the psalm that was written during David's three-month leave of absence when he was going back to the drawing board and and seeking God and saying, God, how do you want this done? How do you want to be glorified? How do you want to be worshipped? Uh, and and as, that, as this applies to the ark coming back to the city of David, you know, I'm sure David was just so, so perplexed. I know you want the ark of God back. I know you want to restore worship to Israel. But how do you want it done? When do you want me to do it? How do you want me to do it? And, and it seems that Psalm 24 was written when he realized, ah, oh, 
God has a way. And I didn't even inquire of him beforehand. This is what it reads, Psalm 24. He says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. Verse 3, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? This would have been the big question. Who may ascend? Is it bringing the ark? Who may ascend? Who may stand in his holy place? Uzzah couldn't. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. And after he realizes this, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Now he knows we can bring the ark of God back. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Now David can bring the ark of God to the city of David confidently, without fear, without and, and it's also without the presumption, it's without the dirty hands, it's without the self-generated idea, it's without um, just full of himself. It's now for one reason, one purpose, God's way, for God's glory, in God's time, everything for, for, for him. Amen? Amen. God, we just pray and uh, just uh, commit the, uh, your word to to. To us today that it would take root in our lives and just be encouraged and reminded even corrected on how we do things you are concerned with the process as well as the outcome and that as we live our lives to you god that you would you would truly be glorified and that we would uh and sometimes it's it's hard to to live life your way when we think we have better ways and and uh sometimes it's not easy and we battle with with who we are apart from you God, I pray that you would just uh, impress upon us in, in ever-increasing strength that we can live before you and we can, we can uh, carry your presence in our lives how, uh, w- w- with you as our focus. And as we live that way obediently, the world will really stand up and take notice because our lives will truly be different. We pray that you would be glorified in our lives this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.